Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to District of Conservation, everyone. This is episode two and... It's been very exciting to dabble into podcasting, and I hope you guys liked episode one. Please follow along and share our accounts across social media, and be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Anchor.fm, Google Play, and other hosting services. I am so excited to say that this podcast will be sponsored by Real Camel Girl, and Real Camel Girl is something that's very close and dear to me. It's a lifestyle brand focused on ladies who love the outdoors. And through their website and social media platforms, they offer a safe space for women to share their pictures, stories, wild game, and fish recipes, plus news articles and con- about conservation and hunting perspective. I have served as a pro staffer since September 2016, and it has really grown into something I love. And I've made a lot of great friends from it. And it's a network you should get involved in, especially if you're a lady who loves to fish, hunt, or spend time in the outdoors in general. Everyone comes from different backgrounds, experience levels, and regions throughout the United States. So if you want to learn more, be sure to check out realcamogirl.com and follow them all across social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Happy Tuesday, everyone. On this somber day, September 11th, I want to try to bring some more positive news for you. And I first want to begin by obviously offering my condolences to the nearly 3,000 Americans we lost on that tragic day. I was uh, 10 years old, give or take, uh, when that tragedy took place, and that affected a lot of us in my generation. So I want to first and foremost obviously honor the memories of those lives lost, those precious lives lost on September 11th, 17 years ago today, and then also the four men who died in Benghazi. I think it's appropriate to do that. They sacrificed a lot, especially in that instance, too. So we should remember all the fallen on this very somber day. But more positively, I want to talk about my experience with Time Magazine because so many of you have requested me to talk about it to demystify what happened. So I'm going to do a quick overview as to what transpired last Wednesday. How I want to recap it in a condensed format for you all is to to really emphasize that they were very nice and respectful. I've really never experienced anything like this. It was a very different interview from anything I've done before. I've talked with national media members. I've spoken with Mary Claire, the fashion magazine before I did an interview late last year with El País, which is Spain's major newspaper. And they released it earlier this year. And I've dealt with some hostile press before, but time, believe it or not, was not hostile. I think this is what reporters should do if they're trying to portray the Second Amendment accurately or, or the gun gun perspective well in a well-rounded fashion. So it was basically part photo shoot and part audio recording. If you want to get a greater sense of for what this looks like, I want you to Google the San Francisco mural by French artist photographer J.R., so this guy, I researched him before, and he's really creative and, and an f- awesome storyteller, his work with his photography. And when I met him, he was super friendly and his staff were super professional. They made me do some poses, which I won't reveal too much into it. When you see the final product, you'll see exactly what happened. But this guy is really renowned in his craft. And 
I understand why Time Magazine partnered with him to do this project. So you're going to love it. Uh, the, the photography portion, I have no doubt. It's very creative. About 200 or so participants from across the Washington, D.C. area, St. Louis and Dallas and the people who flocked to those regions to do the interview who are going to participate. So it's a lot of people. I'm not just the only one. And you'll see a lot of familiar faces, I can say, uh, having seen people post on social media about it. So after I did the photography portion, I went to a private room to record the audio bit. And what this entailed was me spending about two to three minutes in one one time, actually. I didn't have to re-record this, so I'm very proud of myself. Uh, So I basically explained why I'm a gun owner, a concealed handgun permit holder in the state of Virginia, and why I've recently dabbled into hunting in the last year or so. I specifically emphasized that my involvement in the firearms industry is to ensure that the truth about firearms and their use and the laws that are surrounding them are accurately and fairly reported on because we see so much misinformation about this and that has to stop. And so I really emphasize that. I think they liked my response and they said they're not going to distort it and all. So I respect that and I trust them and I have no regrets doing this. I had a lot of people tell me prior to this, don't do this. You're going to be manipulated. They're going to represent you unfairly. And I say to those detractors, like you were wrong. A lot of these people, funny enough, were not people I know personally. So my family was supportive of this. My friends, my mentors, people I work with. I had no disapproval from people who are closest to me. So the naysayers, I usually typically don't listen to that because any opportunity where I can talk to journalists, even those who disagree with me politically, I want to sit down with them and enlighten them as to what the firearms culture, the laws, and everything surrounding that entails. Because... They often will elevate the pro-gun control voices, and that's a grave mistake. On the off chance that publications want to portray both sides of the firearm debate fairly, you always should say yes. If you're calm, they're going to be calm. If you're hostile, they're going to be hostile. So I think how you approach interviews really reflects the outcome. And I'm always very calm, very nice, respectful, and I didn't sense anything wrong with this interview. And I always try to talk to people who disagree with me because we have to get our views out there beyond the echo chamber. When is this going to be coming out, you guys ask? It's going to be out late October in print and also online. So you should look at online on my social media channels and on timemagazine.com or time.com, I should say. I'm going to post about it prior to its release. You'll see it. So make sure we're connected to see what happens and who's going to be appearing. And I think you're going to love it. I, I am excited for the final product and I think you will be too. I not only wanted to discuss my experience with Time Magazine, I also wanted to touch upon two very important updates related to conservation policy. The first being the federal judge in Montana who put a halt on the upcoming managed grizzly bear hunt that was supposed to take place September 1st. Judge Dana L. Christensen, who was appointed by former President Obama, ruled on August 31st, 2018, just a few weeks ago, not too long ago, that the Fish and Wildlife Service wasn't right to delist the grizzly bear in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem region. And that seems to me and to any common sense thinking person to be a political move. I have no doubt he was pressured by animal rights activists, his political acolytes and others to do this. But he says that there has to be a 14 day halt, a two week halt, to to assess whether or not this was the right move by Fish and Wildlife Service. And if you guys remember, 
last June and on June 22nd, 2017, the U S fish and wildlife uh, announced that they would delist the greater Yellowstone ecosystem grizzly bear. Again, this does not apply to grizzly bears in other States in the lower 48 States or elsewhere. This is just a isolated case. And that's going to be very dangerous to conservation efforts in the North American model of wildlife conservation. I would, I would argue. And from my understanding and, and what wildlife biologists believe that the bear in question has been successfully or pretty successfully restored to a healthy level, given the fact that the Endangered Species Act, which protects species like the grizzly bear, was fully enforced and ensured that the bear would be restored to good levels. And as a result of their findings, the Fish and Wildlife Service decided to delist it because they wanted to update the protection that were afforded to the species because they've kind of grown to unmanageable heights and groups like the Rocky mountain elk foundation, sportsman's Alliance, national rifle association, and SEI have defended the fish and wildlife service plans to carry this out. And it should go through. If the wildlife biologists are saying that the grizzly bear can be managed by taking away, if you're successful, 22 grizzly bears to keep that population in check and to keep the ranchers, the farmers, and perhaps the, the food on the lower totem pole of the food chain, the grizzly bears diet, especially the pronghorn sheep or the elk to keep them uh, to flourish more successfully. I think that should be celebrated. And what the press release from the fish and wildlife service said last year, when they announced this delisting, it goes like this, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, DYE distinction population segment, DPS consists of portions of Northwestern Wyoming, Southwestern, Montana and Eastern Idaho grizzly bear populations outside of this this DPS in the lower 48 States will be treated separately under the ESA and will continue to be protected. Could that not be a greater assurance? I I place my trust in wildlife experts and biologists over activists. And again, if this population isn't properly managed, guess who loses the people who are affected by it in the States surrounding the national parks. And again, this Hunt, this managed hunt is not taking place or will not take place inside the confines of the national parks. There are lots of areas outside of it which border it, and you have to be careful with how you do that. But there are private lands that surround the national parks where these grizzly bears have grown to great heights. So farmers and ranchers who live outside uh, the national parks but in this grizzly territory will be adversely affected because they they've noticed they've had increasing conflicts with bears when they attack their livestock when they attack other species in this ecosystem like the elk and the pronghorn sheep and also i think wildlife biologists considered that the grizzlies will lose too if the population is not in check and we want these farmers and ranchers to be cooperative with conservation efforts they play a big part we want private interest to play a big part in conservation efforts. And they have told NBC news that they won't be cooperative if these federal protections are restored and we don't want them to break the law and to, to do that. So I think delisting the grizzly bear in this ecosystem is pertinent. And remember it's isolated and political reasons should not be attached to this. And the law should be accordingly adjusted to reflect the health of the population of grizzly bears in this greater ecosystem. I will talk more at length about that in coming episodes, but I think it's important to see that managed hunt carried out successfully and that the North American model of wildlife conservation not be interrupted any further. And the final thing I want to touch upon is the latest move by the department of interior to expand hunting and fishing opportunities on 30 more national wildlife refuges across the national wildlife refuge system, 251,000 acres 
within these 30 national wildlife refuges are going to be opened up to fishing and hunting opportunities. And the Department of Interior said in a press release that their goal is to open more new acres to hunting and fishing than in the past and take steps to simplify regulations to more closely match state hunting and fishing regulations. What the goal of Interior under Secretary Zinke has been is to streamline regulations that not only harm hunters and anglers, but also those impacted by conservation policy and to open up more lands to uh, public lands hunting and fishing, which should be celebrated and to better reflect the interests of sportsmen. So this falls exactly in line with their mission statement. And they express this department expressed their goal to explore and examine whether or not they can open up opportunities in 136 more national wildlife refuges that don't allow opportunities currently. So this should be celebrated. And people don't know that you can fish and hunt on national wildlife refuges in this country. They shouldn't be confused with national monuments, which do afford opportunities, although they're more limited and also national parks, which there are no hunting or fishing opportunities afforded on those such properties because they're protected. You shouldn't hunt them. And we want to leave certain things untouched, but it's important to note that the refuge system comprises 566 wildlife refuges and they manage also 38 wetland management districts. And of those 377 of these national wildlife refuge, refuge public lands are open to hunting and about 312 of those public lands are open to fishing. A lot of attacks are unfairly hurled at the secretary and the department of interior, but that shouldn't be the case because they are doing their best. I would believe uh, with trying to fulfill the sportsman's desires at the helms of government. And while I don't think government should always be executing everything, they have a place to manage wildlife conservation and habitat restoration efforts. That's what they're tasked with doing. And if you guys remember at minimum 60% of conservation funding in this country with estimates as high as 80% are derived from hunters and anglers. Uh, What the Pittman-Robertson Act does is take an 11% excise tax or tax that you pay onto a sporting good to be applied to conservation, wildlife management, and habitat restoration efforts in your state. We pay the large share of this, and that's important, and I think Secretary Zinke recognizes that, and that's what they take into account when they announce these increased opportunities to hunt and fish. And it's, again, better reflected through the economic impact our industry has. And I think that's why they want to increase those opportunities, especially with a new report from the Southwood Associates, who do a lot of great stuff analyzing the economic impact that hunters and shooting sports enthusiasts have in this country. So they released a account which was distributed distributed by the National Shooting Sports Foundation that 53 million Americans spent about $93.5 billion in 2016 on gear, licenses, travel, clothing, gas, and other expenses related to hunting, target shooting, and sport fishing activities. That is awesome. Can the same be said for hikers, birders, campers, or keyboard warriors who scream bloody murder at hunters and anglers for living out their lifestyle legally? No. Unfortunately, they're largely freeloaders who don't put their money where their mouth is. And again, I know people do pay into conservation that don't go hunting and fishing, but we do carry the weight for most of it. So don't discount our impact on that. That was episode two of District of Conservation. What did you think? You can catch new episodes every Tuesday on anchor.fm and see where we're distributed across the channels. You can find us on a whole host of platforms like Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and we'll soon be available on iTunes. So make sure to leave us a review and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you like what you're hearing and you want to see more similar content. Tight lines and happy harvest, everyone. See you next week.